Have you ever wondered what coaching is? If you've followed along with us for some time, you've heard that word almost in everything that we do. It's who we are at Stay Forth Designs. We live at the intersection of the spiritual and the practical. We offer coaching that clarifies and experiences that replenish. But coaching leaders to get healthy, to reach more impact, is in and through everything we do at Stay Forth Designs. Our amazing team lives and are deeply passionate about helping folks like you get healthy to reach more impact. So have you ever asked that question? You've been curious about what is coaching? How could it help me? I'm skeptical. Hey, that's okay. I asked that question to myself before I even ventured into coaching. Heck, I didn't even know what coaching was before I realized, man, I really need that. And making that investment was one of the greatest things I ever did for my life in leadership. But maybe you still find yourself wondering if it's right for you. Well, if that is, I want to offer this challenge to you. I want you to join me and the rest of our Stay Forth Designs team over in the Right Side Up Collective. We just opened this space to provide ongoing coaching with practical conversations with like-hearted kingdom leaders in an ongoing way to help you continue navigating the complexities of your unique life and leadership space in a way you're not going to find anywhere else, all with the goal of helping you put down deeper roots to get healthy and to reach more impact. You can click the link in the show notes below. I can't wait to see you in there, and neither can the rest of our team. Daniel, my dude, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Alan Briggs. You are a master uh, uh, interviewer, so to be here with you today is a delight. Man, so good to, to be with you. Got to kind of catch up uh, last week, and I'm ready to dive in, man. Um, the power of place. You know I love this city. And yes. I know you love this city. So when we talk about this place, we really can't divorce it from this city that is Colorado Springs that has issues like every other city. And man, right. it has a lot of beautiful and exciting things happening. So this is a conversation near and dear to my heart. You cared yeah. enough about it to put your life into a book. Uh, yeah. And you got a whole lot of topics you're excited about, Daniel. Why this one? Two reasons. Uh, first, the family of origin side, my grandparents and great grandparents, the, the picture, I don't know if this is being audio or video recorded, but there's a picture of my grandparents home place up here in Idaho, right behind me in my study. I grew up spending my summers in Idaho. I'm a Tulsa, Oklahoma boy, but I'd go work the farm with Grandpa Dan and my uncles and my cousins. And you fall into bed every night exhausted. You you gotta you earn your shower, you earn your dinner, you earn your sleep, working the land. Uh, you see how it works. You see how delicate it is. When drought comes, it's devastating. When rain falls, you lift your eyes to the heavens. Like I watched my my grandparents and great grandparents do that. Land to me, place to me was not an abstraction. It wasn't a metaphor. It was real. So family of origin, working the ground. Uh, and then reading church history, studying in seminary and discovering that the very first vow that St. Benedict called saints to take was the vow of stability in place, stabilitas, like try to die where you are. And I didn't ever hear that. I always heard about the vow of chastity, keep your sex right, and the vow of charity, keep your money right, and open your hearts and open your pocketbooks, and the vow of obedience to Scripture, sure. But I did not realize that the very first vow that the, the saints took was the vow of stability. And in the book that I just wrote, The Power of Place, I say that the saints are always from somewhere. You read church history, we think of 
we think of these iconic, transcendent figures who were saints. No, they're always from somewhere. You've got St. Francis of Assisi. You've got St. Hildegard of Bingen. You've got St. Augustine of Hippo. You've got St. Teresa of Calcutta. And, and I write in the book that they got that from somewhere. They got that from St. Jesus of Nazareth, that God works his salvation in particularity, and, and he doesn't sprinkle salvation from the balcony of heaven. As Eugene translated, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And so I, I think those are the two reasons, family of origin and just watching uh, what the saints thought about place. And maybe a third reason as a pastor, and you know this, Alan, is watching people live in this age of wanderlust and watching what wanderlust does to people. After 10 years, they've moved to three different places. They've paid their bills the whole time, but they're broke. They're, they're relationally broke. They have no social capital. They're lonely. And we are living an experiment here in the 21st century West. And we've got to ask ourselves, how's it working out for us? Yeah, and we we have to realize this is not very long we've been living this experiment, (laughs) right? Like this upwardly mobile idea is, while it seems normal to us, it's such a small slice of the world. The idea of business trips, you'd hop on a plane, stay away for a few days, or heck, be sleeping in your own bed that night, but do lunch in a couple other cities and then head back home. Like, that's not normal, although that's what we grew up with. It's all moving around. So, man, let's get personal on this. I'm always a fan of getting personal on the podcast. So you've had opportunities in other places. You could have gone other places, led, pastored, influenced people. Why are you different because you've stayed? Well, had I gone a couple different times along the way, I think I would have been running from something. I would have gone not to go. I would have gone to leave. Yeah make it easier. Oh, it's difficult right now. Relationships are, ah, it's just hard. So I'm going to reset and, and find my new adventure. It it would have, it would have, um, kept me adolescent. It would have kept me ignoring, um, the issues. It would have kept me, you know, these 12 step programs, AA, whatever you go to these places and they say, wherever you go, there you are. You can't run from yourself. And so had I bolted when it got hard, I mean, we had a double murder suicide on a Sunday morning at our church. I mean, that I didn't want to come to church the next week. I was scared out of my mind. I had a six-month-old baby girl, and I literally, I was like, are we going to die today going to church? Because last Sunday, three people did. Um, so, and my phone started ringing. Hey, baby, come back home. We'll pay you more. Bless you. I know you just lost your senior pastor. I know you just had violence on your campus. Let's call it a day. And something in a bunch of us here at New Life Church, there's holy defiance. It it rose up. It was like, man, screw that. This is the moment we were made to be saints. This is the moment we were made to be pastors. This is where we earn the title. This is where we show our vocation. And so I think it's in those moments, the easiest thing to do when it gets hard is to run and to start over, we think, but actually it keeps us adolescent and it keeps us broke relationally. So I think really it's in those moments where you press in that you actually become something. And how did COVID in the quarantine season uh, sort of deepen your message or perhaps even prove your point? (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean... 
the world shuts down. We have Zoom. Praise God for all this technology. I mean, you and I are on Zoom right now recording this. What a gift. We're so 20 minutes apart, but dude, let's just let's just hop We're on. doing it. <laughs> exactly. It's negative 11 outside where I'm at, so let's Zoom this. Yeah. But but I think we realized, yeah, we've got all these options, but the human connection has never been more important. Uh, I, my wife's a real estate broker and people from these big cities all over, San Diego, Chicago, San Francisco, they're calling every day going, uh, we're locked down here. We haven't seen people in two years. We want to get out. Uh, we're, we're considering a move. I think we realized how much being together matters. I think it, body of Christ specific conversations uh, praise the Lord to be able to send this in to people who are sick, you know, live stream. And I'm all for that. I, but I think live stream ought to be a backstop, not a front door. I, I think it ought to be, you know, let's help the soldiers that are deployed right now in the Middle East. Uh, yes. What? Tune in. Let's take care of the elderly who are in shut, you know, shut in in nursing homes. Absolutely. But but that's that's no way to live. It's a it's a backstop, but it's not a it's not a first option. So I, I think we've learned in the last two years that place matters, that uh, physical touch matters, that gathering together matters. We can see each other through the screen, but it, it will never replace the sitting down and breaking bread and laying hands on each other. So I don't know. Talk back to me. You're the one that wrote the book on this first, dude. Staying is the new going is a legendary book. So tell me, this is in you. No, talk to me, bro. Talk to uh, me. Well, let, and let's start too with the idea of stay forth. When you talked about not maturing as a person or as, as a leader, um, those lessons are going to follow you really well in your suitcase. They're going to go whatever unresolved issues we bring them with us. And man, we try to run from those. But when somebody, let's say to, to a pastor, let's say you've pastored five different times for four years each. Um, you've not yet learned the five-year lesson anywhere and wow. neighborhoods, right? Like if we haven't been there long enough to watch people die, I mean, I've done funerals of, you know, beautiful old people in our neighborhood. Um, yes. That does something to you. And yes. I think we love our neighborhoods. We love our places, cracks and all. Um, we absolutely love where we live. Wouldn't trade it for anything. And yeah. my daughter's car got broken into and a bunch of stuff stolen you know, not that long ago. And, yep. and we live in the both end of that. And so I think the, I mean, the challenge of that, we all feel, but I love yeah. how you're bringing it back to maturity. There's something about us that will never mature having uh, not lived in a place, you know, for, for so long. And here's something interesting, Daniel, let's get real personal about our own city that we love so yeah. much. Cracks and all, warts and all, this is a beautiful place. And yeah. yet it's a very broken place and it's a very divided place. And, you know, we know that there are certain streets we drive over and just feels different. There's a different part of yeah. town and there's different brokenness there than there is in the spot that you live and that I live. Um, yeah. But I just think that around a dozen, maybe it was 13 years ago or so, I should have kind of chronicled it more. There were enough younger leaders about our age who made that decision to stay. There was a better yeah. scene going on in other places. It's not, our city wasn't as cool as it is now. Uh, right. and a bunch of people, some of them actually went and came back. And now yeah. are people coming of age. We're old enough to have some influence. We're old enough to have been around. We know the story of this place and we have social and relational capital. And we look at yes. us like maybe we're like old enough that people could trust yes. us. Yes. A friend of ours where we were hanging out last week, 
trusted friends of ours to, you know, millions of dollars worth to build this gorgeous space to encase yeah. relationship and beautiful yeah. community happening. And so I, I love to tell that piece that um, we want the beauty, but we don't yes. want the struggle of that. We want the spark. We don't want the mundane, everyday faithfulness um, of that. And so that's, I think, what so much of our common bond, uh, I think, over the years is just, man, somebody else that sees it the same way. Uh, yes. You. And man, eventually you see that tree mature and go, oh, man, everybody loves mature trees in their neighborhood. But who's actually planting the trees? So 50 years from now, we can live underneath the shade of them, spiritually speaking, it, relationally. Speaking, it's all it's compounding interest. Like I you in the work that we do, you can't fake intimacy. You can't rush history and I am now getting to the place 17 years at New Life where I have officiated weddings that then three years four years five years later I'm dedicating their children seven to ten years after that I'm baptizing their children and then I'm standing up for those kids who I just baptized for their grandparents 50th wedding anniversary celebration and then I'm burying great-grandparents. And there's four to five generations all told in one family that I have been in those rooms with, I've been around those tables with, I've been in those hospital rooms with, I've, I've dedicated and baptized children, and I've buried the dead. And you can't do that in a four-year spurt. You just can't do that. And so for me, it's the compounding interest. We all know, you know, you you get in the market and you put in $3,000 this year. That's not going to do anything. And you put in $3,000 next year and that's not going to do anything. And it just feels like I'm wasting. And you look at the reports. But tell me in 30 years if you love that investment. That's right. And somewhere around investment is based on delayed gratification. I do what's hard now. And I see this magical return later. Yes. And, and we, were, we were considering a, a move two years ago with a church that came and approached us, a, a, a large church that, you know, in one sense, it's like, whoa, what a major evangelical platform. But we, that wasn't intriguing to us. We were willing to, to host the conversation. But I was telling Lisa, frankly, at 15 years, that was 15 years at New Life, I'm just now getting to the point where I have authority. I'm just now getting to the place where I can do some things that I would I would never have been able to do in these last 15 years. And I'm, I'm considering giving that away to go press reset. Every move is an emotional and relational reset. That's the right. calendar, the calendar starts all over. Yeah. Well, and you how, don't, about, how about this, Daniel? You could start some things and leverage. What about our kids? Yeah, kids are going to be starting over new school, new opportunity, uh, new fears, new insecurities, new everything. And of course, as a present dad, you're going to want to slow down. You're going to grieve that. And that's harder than we think. There's a lot of stuff we just don't even factor into a move besides our leadership, our our tools, our influence, our social capital. We usually think, what will a move make me? But I always tell people to ask, what will... We don't very often think about the cost and I'll create scenarios. I'll tell people, okay, Kansas City calls and they offer you 120K total package and, you know, all this. But you're living in Colorado Springs making 80. What do you do? And very often one of them will go, Kansas City. And I'll say, why? 
And what do you have here in Colorado Springs? Well, we got parents and we've got little kids and our kids like their schools and our kids like their church. And we've got a neighborhood full of people that love us. I said, so how much, put that on paper. How much is that worth to you? And you go to Kansas City and you lose all that. How much does that cost you? Are you actually richer after this? And so uh, we just don't think about the cost of these things. So we have to slow down long enough to go, what's this? What would I be losing to leave. Yeah. And what I, what I hear in your message, your book is rootedness as resistance. The normal yeah. upward yes. mobile message is of course you go, of course, the next thing, the next opportunity, the next stepping stone. But man, this is beautiful. Grass becomes green where you cultivate it. <laughs> and here we go, right? A lot of fertilizer in the soil over the yes. years, a lot of tilling. Um, yes. Daniel, I'm curious for you, as you look and just kind of see our culture, what are some of those symptoms of rootlessness in our culture? Yeah, um, we're medicating it. We're medicating it. We, again, we've got deeper pockets than we've ever had in history, but I think we're more relationally bankrupt than ever. Uh, loneliness, anxiety, uh, workaholism. If I'm living in a place where I don't know anybody, what am I going to do? I'm going to drown my sorrows in work. Um, medication, drinking, and again, medication is great. I'm not, please listen to me with nuance, people. Don't, don't read me as some word of faith or that says don't, if you need meds, get meds. But we are numbing the pain of the loss of community that is endemic in our society. And we think that this is normal and we have a very short view of history. Our history is basically our story and maybe the next five years. When you look back, and, and this is why I tell people to travel the world today. Go to India, go to, go to Central America, go to Africa. These people are still living three generations in one little household and they're broke as a joke and they're so deeply rich with community and friendship and hope and there's the, there's the quick joy that arises on their face and they're living as a provocation to us who are so rich but who are deeply poor in all the right, uh, right ways. Um, so I, I just think we are, we are masking it. Deep pockets can buy you five years of masking a problem that is right there. If you'll just look at it, if you'll slow down long enough, if you'll, if you'll pay attention, if you'll ask the right questions, if you'll name your lament, you'll be able to realize that you know there's something amiss and we can address this. We can choose to live differently. We are, we are making these decisions, and very often these are self-inflicted wounds. There are poor people who have to move because of economic migration and because markets shift, and I understand, and God have mercy and God provide, period. Many of us are making these decisions as self-inflicted wounds that we don't have to do this. And so we, I think we, you and I are, are wanting people to host a larger conversation on the power of place, on staying is the new going. Do you know what makes you rich? Do you know what will make you happy? Have you thought about the deathbed conversations you're going to have? What will you regret? What will you never regret? And I will not regret passing up opportunities to make a little more money. I would regret if I uprooted my children and, and made their lives begin to wobble unnecessarily. 
So we are Genesis 12 people. If God says, go to a place I will show you, we obey. Absolutely. This place does not romanticize stability, period. But God is going to have to make me move. God is going to, and I know how to obey, but I think we're living in an age that we are choosing to bounce and God's not demanding this kind of life of us. Yeah, and it has proved our point further. When people are living in a place disconnected, maybe they just moved there for work and your work goes remote. What do you do? And you realize that was really my only connection. And then you throw COVID in there and it's been a great revealer, but the great resettler where people are saying, man, maybe I do want to start over in a beautiful place. Maybe it is time to move back to the Midwest around family. Um, And Daniel, we could, we could talk for hours. Let's finish this over a a good cup of Joe. We got to walk your, we got to walk your property and dream. Come on, man. um, Where you're coming in from right now. So it's, it's not lost on me that conversations hit a little bit different when you're in your own home today. Um, it's just a little deeper. It's just a little richer than it is in an office. Um, mm. And so even as I see that that background, it's, it's comforting to me. He's coming in from his own spot, right? Probably mm. going to go get some hot soup after this. Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. And this conversation, I think, is for this moment. And I think it's particularly helpful. And it's a reevaluating conversation. And so just yeah. to leave you with that, what do you hope people are reevaluating in their lives and in their yeah. faith and in their families by opening up the pages of this book that you've labored over. I hope people will be re-enchanted with the particularity of their place as they read this book. I, I hope they'll read about Wendell Berry and discover someone who is so connected to the local place and who will give us eyes to see. I hope they read this book and discover Annie Dillard, this this unbelievable mystic who turned uh, her humdrum neighborhood into holy ground. She wrote Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. It won the Pulitzer. It was a suburb of Roanoke, Virginia. And she would leave her little row home and walk down to a a city park where there's this little creek. And she writes about it like she's writing from Yosemite. And she's able to turn a, a suburb into a burning bush and see the burning bush that is right there in front of them. I hope they'll read and, and discover uh, uh, people like Jimmy and R- Rosalind Carter who are, are down there in Plains, Georgia, 96, 97 years, serving a, a impoverished community where they come from, and just start thinking, you know what? The grass isn't greener, uh, but have I done the work to discover the beauty, the majesty, the mystery, the holiness, the blessing that is right in front of me? And ha- so I just hope people will fall back in love with where they are and do the hard work of noticing the beauty and sign up and make the Lord disrupt you. If he makes you move, fine, we'll obey. But if he doesn't, die in that place giving the very best of your strength and your kindness and your joy and your resource to bless those people. If you live that way, they will be blessed and you will love where you are. So fall back in love with your place. Mm. Amen, my friend. Now you are preaching. (laughs) Friends, Daniel Grothy, pick up his book, The Power of Place. I could not be nodding anymore as we have this conversation. Grateful for you, selfishly. I'm glad you have Mm. stayed, my friend. Let's continue. Me too. This city, a beautiful place. Love you, Alan Briggs. Stay warm and well fed. You got to go get some. Yes, (laughs) sir.